Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You know... It's incredible. It is incredible. This is the greatest employment economy in half a century. I want you to think about this. In over 50 years, it is the greatest employment economy in over half a century. And it's because the president did exactly the opposite of what Obama did. The president did exactly the opposite of what every Democrat running for president is saying. It's because the president has done exactly the opposite, what Nancy Pelosi wants him to do. You see, ladies and gentlemen, capitalism, profit, private property, entrepreneurship, is the most humane economic system on the face of the earth. It's the most humane combination of events, planned and unplanned, that the mind can imagine. We don't need government plans and government projects and government this and government that. You either have faith in the American people and the American spirit or you don't. And if you don't, you're a liberal Democrat. You have faith in government. You have faith in faceless bureaucrats. You have faith in insane politicians. Doesn't make any sense. This economy is not talked about enough. And one of the reasons is we continue to talk about the Democrat agenda as if it's news every single day. Every single day. Now we've since learned that Adam Schiff issued subpoenas. He has 3,500 phone records. 3,500 phone records. He's a fascist. Adam Schiff is a fascist, in my view. The way he conducted the House Intelligence Committee. You know, the news today is is hilarious. The way they, they position it is the White House will not participate in the impeachment hearings. Well, what the hell's been going on the last two months? Secret testimony, public hearings, evidence so-called, evidence denied, witnesses denied, the Republicans denied, cover-up for a phony whistleblower, cover-up for Adam Schiff, and then at the 11th hour, would the White House like to participate? Really? So in other words, when the instructions are read to the jury in a courtroom, just a parallel, now... Would the defense like to participate? And the president has said, absolutely not. And he's right. You don't want to participate in a scam and give it the 
the imprimatur of the White House and the executive branch. And I want to congratulate some of the media, finally, but most no, who at least claim to be appalled by Adam Schiff and the 3,500 phone records he's collected, including on Devin Nunes and reporter John Solomon and the president's private lawyers, Giuliani and Sekulo, among others. The minute I saw that on page 157 of the report, the minute it was reported by Epic Times first, I told you this is a big deal. That the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee is an uncivil, unlibertarian. He's fascistic, just like his boss, Nancy Pelosi. But something caught my attention that I want to read to you because it's emblematic of what goes on around here. And it is a piece by Margaret Sullivan. Now, most of you have never heard of Margaret Sullivan, but she was an ombudsman once. It was either for the Washington Post or the New York Times, but now she's a columnist, a media columnist for the Washington Post. And I want to tell you something. I am proud of all the books I've written, It's like having children and say, which one do you like the most? Well, you don't. But unfreedom in the press couldn't be more timely. Could not be more timely. Because it began in earnest the process of truly unraveling and undressing what is this fraud. This fraud called the media today. And to underscore that point, I want you to listen to what she wrote. She's a very influential writer among the news media types. She says, the diplomats have been inspiring, the legal scholars knowledgeable, the politicians predictable. After endless on-air analysis and written reporting, pundit panels and emergency podcasts, not much has changed. If anything, weeks into the House of Representatives' public impeachment hearings, Americans' positions seem to have hardened on whether President Trump should be impeached and removed from office. So is the media coverage pointless? Are journalists merely shouting into the void? Columnist Michael Goldberg of the New York Times offered a name Wednesday for one aspect of what's happening before our eyes. Responding to the absurd statement of Representative Doug Collins, the ranking Republican, on the House Judiciary Committee. There are no set facts here. She summed it up, the long-term Republican strategy, epistemological nihilism. In other words, there can be no knowledge and no meaning. So don't even bother. It's not what he said. It's not what he said at all. More in a moment. Brings to mind Trump advisor Kellyanne Conway's coinage of the infamous term alternative facts early in the administration. Actually, that's what the Democrats practice and the media. Or Trump's surrogate, Scotty Neal Hughes, or Nell Hughes's on-air comment in 2016. There's no such thing, unfortunately, any more facts. That strategy runs in direct opposition to what journalism is supposed to be all about, establishing uh, facts and knowledge so that citizens can make decisions, armed with what Watergate reporter Carl Bernstein calls 
the best obtainable version of the truth. It's funny who she quotes. How should journalists respond to the stalemate? Other than they keep doing exactly what they've been doing. Now, here she shows a little bit of ankle, you see. It's the job of journalists to clear all this up. To go after Trump. To pound his surrogates. To pound the Republicans. Got to fix this. How should journalists respond? The hint of a possible solution appears in the tracking of public opinion on impeachment at NateSilvers538.com under the headline, Plenty of People Are Persuadable on Impeachment. Now, why are the media trying to persuade people on impeachment? Why does she want journalists, so-called, to persuade people on impeachment, ladies and gentlemen? A paradox arises herein, she writes, and a weird one, all that. There's a group the trackers call less certain Republicans. About 12% of the sample. Not huge, but given the even split in support for impeachment, mighty important. Here's the rub. The group is persuadable, but not particularly interested. And it goes on. There's one big hurdle for anyone looking to persuade this group. They're not following developments in the impeachment inquiry very closely, the site reported. Only 34% of the people who aren't as certain about their stance on impeachment are following the process somewhat or very closely, compared to 66% respondents who are more certain. That much larger group, though, seems to be following the hearings and absorbing the media coverage largely to deepen their own confirmation bias. Rather than providing a catering service for the echo chambers, how might journalism address this important group? You see? At the front end, she talks about the import of being factual and objective and getting the information out there. Now, she quickly surrenders it. Her writing is incoherent, but nonetheless, she exposes herself more than ankle now. We need to get to this group to persuade them to go after Trump. Columbia University journalism professor Bill Gruskin suggests the movie trailer approach. And a message, now this is a journalism professor, mind you. In a message, he explains, quote, studios spend $1 million or more on a trailer because they know it's essential to boil down the essentials of the film. Explaining but not giving away the plot, providing a quick but intense insight into the characters, setting the scene with vivid imagery. To entice people to come back to the theater a month later for the full movie. Similarly, she writes, most people, especially the less convinced or more persuadable, will never watch seven hours in a row of congressional testimony. But as he notes, many of them would be open to a targeted, well-informed trailer approach that is cogently told. In some ways... That's what the nightly newscasts on the three major broadcast networks attempt to do, boil the complex down to a few minutes. But the audience, although still substantial, more than 20 million people on average per night, certainly doesn't include everyone. And far too often, those broadcasts fall prey to false equivalency. This side said this, and this side said that. And we don't want to make anyone mad, so we've got to cut to a commercial now. Is that what you see on TV, ladies and gentlemen? Or do you see an endless parade of propagandists pushing the social activism progressive agenda. Of course, it's the latter. And so she concludes this way. With that in mind, 
I would also very much like to see one other major change, a moratorium on the reflexive use of the word partisan. Mainstream journalists love that word because it lets them off the hook. We aren't taking sides, not us. The country's divided and we can't help it. Just uttering the word partisan is media Prozac. <clears throat> Excuse me, it soothes journalists' angst about not being perceived as inoffensively neutral. She says it's too easy and too often an easy cover-up for yes, epistemological nihilism, the notion there are no facts, so let's not bother to try establishing them. But there, here's the thing, she says. There are facts. There is truth. We do live in a country that abides by laws and a constitution, and nobody ought to be above them. Despite the hardened position, some members of the public are still uncertain. Some are persuadable, and yes, it matters. Maybe, just maybe, it's the job of American journalism in this moment to get serious about trying to reach these citizens. She is saying it is crucial that journalism in the aggregate as a whole get a hold of these soft Republicans and move them against Trump so we can get rid of Trump. And she's saying this is real journalism. This is the pursuit of truth and facts. Because, you know, we progressives, we know all these things. And stop worrying about partisanship. Just claim or believe that you're pursuing the truth when you're pursuing a social activist progressive agenda. That's Margaret Sullivan of the Washington Post who used to be the ombudsman or something of that sort. Now, I want to address this more thoroughly because this is part of the problem. This is why the Democrats feel that they can operate as radically and insanely as they wish without any anything curtailing them, because they know the media will not only be behind them, the media will be leading them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. As we celebrate the Christmas and holiday season, we often pause to consider our many blessings. Hillsdale College thanks you for loyalty as it celebrates 175 years of blessings. Now, since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Imprimus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses, or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. Now, this independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core principles, learning, character, faith, and freedom without government interference. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. Merry Christmas from Hillsdale College, and to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now let's address this Margaret Sullivan a little bit more thoroughly, of course, with the help of Unfreedom of the Press. All the scholarship is there, so why not? Half a million of you have purchased this book, either as a hardcover book or an e-book or an e-audio. Half a million of you. And this is why we all now know what the media actually are. But let me start this way. You've heard me talk about this fellow, William Ron, and what he wrote, CBS News digital political correspondent, the network's managing director of politics, November 11, 2016, right after the election of Trump. 
said the mood in Washington's press corps is bleak and deservedly so. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that with a few exceptions, we were all tacitly or explicitly with Hillary, which has led to a certain anguish in the face of Donald Trump's victory. More than that, and more importantly, we also missed the story after having spent months mocking the people who had a better sense of what was going on. This is all symptomatic of a modern journalism's great moral and intellectual failing, its unbearable smugness. Trump knew what he was doing when he invited his crowds to jeer and hiss the reporters covering him. They hate us and have for some time. And can you blame them? Journalists love mocking Trump supporters. We diagnose them as racists in the way Dark Age clerics confuse medical problems with demonic possession. Journalists, at our worst, see ourselves as a priestly caste. We believe we not only have access to the indisputable facts, and you heard that with that Margaret Sullivan, but also a greater truth, a system of beliefs divine from an advanced understanding of justice. This is all a whitewash, you see. Trump voters are racist and sexist, so there must be more racist and sexist than we had realized. Journalists increasingly don't even believe in the possibility of reasoned disagreement. And you see that with Chuck Todd when it comes to climate change and other matters. And as such, ascribe cynical motives to those who think about things a different way. As a direct result, we get it wrong with greater frequency. Out on the road, we forget to ask the right questions. We can't even imagine the right question. We go into assignments too certain that what we find will serve to justify our biases. Brilliant. Brilliant. And I'm going to explain to you, to use the language of the left, that their biases are baked into their DNA. Baked into their DNA. Because if there's to be a revolution, there needs to be a revolution of the media kind. And what goes on in the newsrooms. Virtually all the newsrooms. Because it's, it's unhealthy for a republic, for a civil society. In fact, it's destructive when the media become propagandists. Propagandists for an ideology and a political party and the government. I'm not talking about the Trump administration. I'm talking about the government. And that's why Bernie Sanders doesn't get the kind of anal exam that others do. That's why Liz Warren gets away with her serial lying. That's why Joe Biden can get away with being a buffoon. And on and on and on. They have a high level, a high level of, uh, of compassion and ignorance when it comes to the Democrat field. So we want to dig into this a little bit more deeply. If you'd like to stick with us, we'd appreciate it. I'll be right back. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College. He's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat, so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. 
Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu. That's hillsdale.edu for more information. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. If you're trying to reach Mark on the air, call him at 877-381-3811. The Mark Levin Radio Show continues. How come so-called media analysts, Mr. Producer, are free on cable TV to comment about people on their networks, but the people they comment about on their networks aren't free to talk about the media analysts? Isn't that strange? When we get into these subjects the way we do, the media ignore me because they don't want to highlight what we're actually discussing. When we get into philosophy or economics, history or law and the Constitution, they pretend that we don't because they're ignoramuses and they're leftists. You've heard me talk about New York University professor Jay Rosen as a leading voice in journalism, in academia for journalism. He's a radical leftist. And he developed this theory, what he calls public or civic journalism, that I've talked about before. But, you know, people come and go from a program, so I want to underscore this point. So what is this? Purpose-driven, community-based, social activism, journalism movement. And it is spreading throughout America's newsrooms for the last several decades, and you can see it. Rosen was trashing President Trump early on. And early on, he wrote in the Washington Post, listen, this is important. This is what's going on. If we follow what they say, if we uncover what they say, they say it out in the open. Then we know exactly what's going on. I'm not making it up. I'm quoting them. He said in the Washington Post, this is when Trump was a candidate. Imagine a candidate who wants to increase public confusion about where he stands on things so that voters give up on trying to stay informed and instead vote with raw emotion. Is that what Trump did? He didn't know where he stood? Under those conditions, does asking, where do you stand, sir, serve the goals of journalism, or does it enlist the interviewer in the candidate's chaotic plan? I know what you're thinking, journalists. What do you want us to do? Stop covering a major party candidate for president? That would be irresponsible. True, but this reaction short-circuits intelligent debate, he says. Beneath every common practice in election coverage, there are premises about how candidates will behave. So he says to other journalists, I want you to ask, do these still apply? Trump isn't behaving like a normal candidate. He's acting like an unbound one. In response, journalists have to become less predictable themselves. They have to come up with novel responses. They have to do things they've never done. They may even have to shock us. So you can see his enormous influence in modern-day Democrat Party media. He says they may need to collaborate across news brands in ways they've never known. They may have to call Trump out with a forcefulness unseen before. They may have to rise the breakdown. They may have to risk, excuse me, the breakdown of decorum in interviews and endure excruciating awkwardness. Hardest of all, they'll have to explain to the public that Trump is a special case. And the normal rules do not apply. 
They're telling us what they're doing. Rose and another like-minded social activist of public and civic journalism reject the traditional standards and notions of a free press for instead a radical approach to reporting where the media become an essential instrument for progressive movement. You heard me read Margaret Sullivan's column the other day. They bar from the philosophy of, among others, socialist Amitai Etziani. Etziani describes his approach as people committed to creating a new moral, social, and public order based on restored communities without allowing puritanism or oppression. All sounds a lot like Marxism to me. Now, Rosen, lacking confidence in the intelligence and wisdom of his fellow citizens, Rosen insists on indoctrination and manipulation by media elites. He says that the public is assumed to be out there, more or less intact. Then the job of the press is easy to state, to inform people about what goes on in their name and in their midst. But suppose the public leads a more broken existence. At times it may be alert and engaged, but just as often it struggles against other pressures, including itself, and can win out in the end. Inattention to public matters is perhaps the simplest of these, atomization of society, one of the more intricate. Money speaks louder than the public, problems overwhelm it, fatigue sets in, attention falters, cynicism swells. Wow, this guy, sitting in his ivory tower, he really knows all about you, doesn't he? A public that leads this more fragile kind of existence suggests a different task for the press, not just to inform a public that may or may not be engaged, but to improve the chances that it will emerge. What will emerge? The public. The public emerge doing what? Well, you know, social activism journalism, ladies and gentlemen. That's what. Now, maybe you never heard of this guy, Thomas Edsel, regular writer for the Washington Post, at least formerly. He's even more blunt. He proclaimed that journalism should own its liberalism, then manage it, challenge it, and account for it. The mainstream press is liberal. Once, before 1965, reporters were a, a mix, a mix of the working stiffs, leavened by ne'er-do-well college grads, unfit for corporate headquarters or divinity school. Since the civil rights and women's movements, the culture wars and Watergate, the press court at such, at such institutions at the Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS News, the New York Times, the Journal, and so forth, is composed in large part of new or creative class members of the liberal elite. Well-educated men and women who tend to favor abortion rights, women's rights, civil rights, gay rights. In the main, they find such figures as Bill O'Reilly, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, Pat Robertson, or Jerry Falwell beneath contempt. Beneath contempt. Now, you know, in that he's right. That's how they think. That's what they believe. For Edsel, the problem is that there are very few good conservative reporters, he says. There are many intellectually impressive conservative advocates and opinion leaders, but the ideology does not seem to make for good journalists. It's just not in their DNA. It's just not. So they have to resort, you see, folks, to both a self-fulfilling and incoherent formulation of journalism's purpose to justify liberal media bias and simultaneously reject bias as a criticism. Right? While the personnel tend to share an ideological worldview, wrote Edsel, 
Most have a personal and professional commitment to the objective presentation of information. So Edsel's complaint is that the refusal of mainstream media executives to acknowledge the ideological leanings of their staff has produced a dangerous form of media guilt in which the press leans over so far backward to avoid the charge of left bias that it ends up either neutered or leaning to the right. Is this guy perverse or what? No, he's perverse. Now, I close this point that I'm making this evening with a piece by Jim Rutenberg. You can see I'm pulling it all together at the New York Times that we've talked about in, in the past, but we need to bring it back. He was a news correspondent, but he became a columnist. And all these former news co- co- uh, correspondents tend to be left-wing columnists when they're, when they're free to actually write their opinions unencumbered by a pretense of, of newsworthiness. On August 7, 2016, again, candidate Trump, not President Trump, Rutenberg explained the mindset of the newspaper and the media at large. Here's what he said in part. If you're a working journalist and you believe that Donald J. Trump is a demagogue playing to the nation's worst racist and nationalistic tendencies, that he cozies up to anti-American dictators and that he would be dangerous with control of the United States nuclear codes, how the heck are you supposed to cover him? If you believe all those things, you have to throw out the textbook American journalism has been using for the better part of the past half century, if not longer. And approach it in a way you've never approached anything in your career. Sounds a lot like this Jay Rosen, doesn't it? Sounds, sounds a, an awful lot like him. If you view a Trump presidency as something that's potentially dangerous, then your reporting is going to reflect that. You would move closer than you've ever been to being oppositional. That's uncomfortable and uncharted territory for every mainstream, non-opinion journalist I've ever known, and by normal standards, untenable. But the question that everyone is grappling with is, do normal standards apply? Sounds exactly like Rosen. They all sound alike. Because they all talk to each other, or they all read each other, or they're of the same ideology. And if they don't, what should take their place? It may not always seem fair to Mr. Trump or his supporters... But journalism shouldn't measure itself against any one campaign's definition of fairness. Remember, this is when he was a candidate. It is journalism's job to be true to the readers and viewers and true to the facts in a way that will stand up the history's judgment. To do anything less would be untenable. So in other words, the facts are as the progressive states they are. The facts are laundered through the progressive ideology. Journalism is now the tool of progressivism. And progressivism is their truth. Progressivism is their religion. Progressivism is their idol. And so they are more than prepared to destroy their profession, and they already have. Abandoning truth, objectivity, the pursuit of both, I should say, for this. Right, Margaret Sullivan? We started with you. We have a tremendous economy. We have a president who is doing a fabulous job. And they said he couldn't do it. They said he wasn't smart enough, not experienced enough, not good enough. And they have been wrong. By virtually every measure. They have been wrong. And he's been enormously successful. 
And now they want to take him out? I'll be right back. Mark in. As we celebrate the Christmas and holiday season, we often pause to consider our many blessings. Hillsdale College thanks you for loyalty as it celebrates 175 years of blessings. Now, since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses, or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. Now, this independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core principles, learning, character, faith, and freedom without government interference. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. Merry Christmas from Hillsdale College, and to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. When you uh, step back and think about things, step back from the hurly-burly and shut off all the static, and you realize that the the radical progressive movement, which now has a, a home, and has control over the Democrat Party. There are no real moderates left or old conservatives. Yeah, they can point to one or two. That's irrelevant. And when you understand, if you've read Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism or listened to our discussion of that over many, many months, the progressive movement and now the Democrat Party, the funnel through which it operates, they exist for the purpose of eviscerating our Constitution. They exist for the purpose of eviscerating our traditions and our customs and our standards and our principles. Or they'd have no reason to exist. And so when you hear them, whether in the form of professors or journalists or hosts, commentators, whatever their form is irrelevant. Whatever they're dressed up as is irrelevant. It's the same ideology. And when you hear them talk about the president is abusing power, when their entire ideology is about abusing power, when you hear them say that the president has violated the Constitution, when their entire ideology is about eviscerating the Constitution, you can see how propaganda works. You can see how propaganda works. And so the President of the United States, who has not violated the Constitution, is said by the people who believe in its evisceration, who believe it's illegitimate, who believe the founders were illegitimate. They have slavery. We have slavery in our blood, our DNA. They're now lecturing us about the Constitution, which they despise. About what George Mason said, who they despise. Now, it's like the media saying we're protecting free speech and freedom of the press, which they despise. They seek to protect themselves and their own opinions and viewpoints, not ours. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. 
5 p.m. Pacific on Fox on Life, Liberty, and Levin, a full one-hour, one-on-one discussion with Professor Alan Dershowitz and me. This has never happened before, really. You put it on pay-per-view. I think you're going to learn a hell of a lot. We'll be right back. Broadcasting them from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, What you're seeing here is the... The pinnacle, not just the rise, but the pinnacle, perhaps, of the fascistic, or you might want to say, communistic aspects of what has become the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party has been known for its extremes. It is a party that attracts radicals and extremists. Sometimes the Republican Party does, but it's really not the heart core soul of the Republican Party. The Republican Party led the effort against slavery, led the effort against segregation. The Democrat Party led the effort for slavery and for segregation. Then they came up with an idea. Let's give stuff to people. They embraced progressivism, which is really statism, if you understand it. It's statism. It's about the state, expanding the power of the state, the government, manipulating people, taking from some to give to the other, to push narratives, to position yourself. They get votes, but in the end, to grab the whole society by the throat. Can you show me a single instance in which these radical, progressive, or even communist regimes have been successful I mean successful as a human enterprise. Well, if they're so successful, why do they need to be police states? China's a police state. So that's not successful. Venezuela's a police state. Cuba's a police state. And I bring this up because that's what you see. You see the... I talked to you before about the spectrum, as I see it, the political spectrum. What you see is is a fascistic, communistic-type mentality, but it's a totalitarian mentality. And you see it growing, and in fact, reaching a, a, a very high point in the Democrat Party. And that's who Nancy Pelosi is, and that's what she represents. And what they're doing now is reflective of that. I, I want to talk about CNN for a minute. CNN, ladies and gentlemen, take me. I'm, I'm in this field now. CNN has no ratings. And by no ratings, I mean they're, they're always at the bottom. They don't have any standout hosts in terms of getting numbers of viewers. And this is even with the fact that they have apparently a monopoly on our airports that I've been talking about for years. CNN has no no reason to exist 
there wasn't CNN, there'd be MSNBC anyway. CNN doesn't have a niche. It doesn't have a purpose. It's not a news operation. And yet there it is. And the public is turning against CNN. They can't even keep their base as if they're political entity. Here's John Nolte writing at Breitbart. Far-left CNN, an anti-Trump, pro-violence, racist, fake news outlet that traffics in conspiracy theories collapsed to a three-year low in the ratings during the week of November 25th. It's amazing. Don't you dare tell, and don't you dare fall for the fake spin and blame Thanksgiving. Fox News increased its, increased its primetime audience by 6% when compared to this same week last year. MSNBC lost about 35% of its audience, but didn't hit a uh, three-year low. CNN not only hit a three-year low, the least trusted name in news fell to 18th place. 18th place during primetime. Fox came in third, MSNBC fourth. Did I mention CNN LOL came in 18th? CNN's ratings are so bad, some offshoot channel called Hallmark Movies and Mysteries beat it. Has anyone even heard of that channel? I haven't, and TV is my life. CNN's demo audience, those 25, 54-year-olds, crucial to setting advertiser rates, fell to a five-year low. Look at these numbers, he says. Primetime viewers, Fox News, 2.2 million. MSNBC, 1.3 million. CNN, LOL, 643,000. Total day viewers. Fox, 1.33 million. MSNBC, 781,000. CNN, LOL, 539,000. CNN doesn't have a reason to exist, folks. In a nation as big as our nation is, with all the people that we have, these are people who are talking to themselves. The U.S. Congress is impeaching the president based on a hoax, and CNN is barely pulling in half a million viewers, can't attract even one-fourth of one percent of the American population. This goes beyond low ratings. People are rejecting Jeff Motherzucker and CNN. Now, he says, one thing I don't do off the clock is talk politics. You want to talk politics? Let me punch in. That will be $25 an hour, he says. I used to love to talk politics, but now talking politics is my job. I'd rather talk about anything else. As an aside, I get his point. I might talk to you for three hours after the radio show and go to a restaurant and say, and somebody wants to discuss what I just discussed, even though they heard what I just discussed. Sometimes you need to step away from it in order to take it in, to comprehend it, to digest it, to think about things and so forth. And sometimes you need to step away from it altogether to be with your family. He says, people freaking hate CNN. That's what they tell him without even asking. What I mean is they volunteer that information. Just bring it up. I hear it all the time, even from people who don't know what I do for a living. Even strangers in waiting rooms. Hey, you all mind if I change the channel as long as it's not CNN? And for a moment, we all forget we're in purgatory of plastic chairs Two-year-old magazines and bad coffees, we form a bond built on pointing and laughing at CNN. And it's not the fact that CNN is left-wing. MSNBC is left-wing. No one's arguing MSNBC is lighting the world on fire, but MSNBC isn't embarrassing itself. CNN is just bad TV. 
terrible TV, unbearable to watch, smug anchors, endless repetition, hate, CNN is tedious TV, just like all propaganda. These ratings are also another clear-cut sign that impeachment is a total dud. You know, uh, just a little inside baseball here. It's quasi-inside. When I was approached to do a show on Fox, which I very much appreciate, and we had our meeting, and I'm not going to get into all that, but I was asked what kind of format would I like. I said, well, I grew up on these one-on-one long-form interview formats, and I thought they're crucially important. There aren't. We're not doing that anymore. So I told them what I had in mind. Not a monologue, not a bunch of guests. One guest for a full hour, tops two guests. And Mr. Murdoch and Ms. Scott. Suzanne Scott is a wonderful lady. Said, go ahead and do it. And then we put together the program, short order. John Finley, me, Cooper. Dave Paderouche, my man Doug, number of people. But it was the content that mattered. The content. And the content wasn't only provided by me, it was mostly to be provided by the guests. That's the point of a long-form interview. Let them speak. Hear what they have to say. The critical point in a show like this is picking the guest. Picking the guest. Is the guest going to be interesting? Are they capable of, you know, of, uh, of a long dialogue? And so, this is why life, liberty, and Levin is a success. Because that's what you want to hear. That's what you want to see. And so Sunday we have Alan Dershowitz. And we've had Benjamin Netanyahu. And we've had Walter Williams. And I can go down the line. Brilliant, brilliant men and women, some of whom run activist organizations, some of whom are heads of state, some of whom are iconic in their own right, some of whom you've never heard of before. Now, why do I bring all this up to you? Because that's not CNN. That's not MSNBC. It is endless Pounding, pounding propaganda with the same faces, the same voices, the same guests, the same commentators. And I was banking on the fact that that would be tedious. And I think it is tedious. After my first show with Walter Williams, Media Matters and some website called Raw Story or something like that said it's boring, boring, boring. And I linked to it. I link to a lot of my enemies and opponents. So you can hear and see what they say. Somebody told me, you know, you really ought to change a little bit. You need to be more fiery. Do the monologue. I said, no. When I have five minutes, three minutes, seven minutes, and I got to get a point across, and somebody's interrupting me, I got to hammer away, or I got to draw attention, and I'm in a passionate way doing that. That's one thing. But if I have an hour, we're going to walk through this. 
That show receives no attention today from the same people who attack regularly this show and talk radio. No attention. And by the way, it's irrelevant. We don't need their attention because the ratings are through the roof. Absolutely through the roof. It's been moved up from 10 p.m. Eastern, as you know, to 8 p.m. Eastern. And I'm not doing this to hawk the show. I don't need to do that. When I bring up the show, I just want you to be aware of who the guest is in case you want to watch. I'm bringing it up because compare that to CNN. My ratings are up and going higher. Their ratings are down and going lower. Why? I even have people come up to me and say, I don't always agree with you, but I watch the show. That's not what people say about CNN. They say, you know what? I can't stand it. I'm not watching it. Because they're propagandists. They're propagandists. It's so bad. We have tried to get every candidate who's running for president of the Democrat side on my show. Not one of them has accepted. Why? Because they're afraid of a one-hour format. They like the CNN-type stuff. They are afraid of a one-hour format. I tried to get Mitt Romney. He's afraid of a one-hour format. They're afraid they'll embarrass themselves. They're afraid they'll be exposed. And as you know, I'm I'm very polite on life, liberty, and Levin. That's why it's a great format. Because you can really dig into things. You're going to learn a lot about Professor Dershowitz you didn't know before. And by the way, as a side, people try to jump ahead of my interviews on Sunday. They'll bring them on their own TV shows. Or it's not going to work. It's a matter of chemistry, how I do the show, and how individuals answer, and how I follow up. It just isn't the same. And then you can see these efforts that have been launched to try and mimic what I do. And there's no need to mimic what I do. It's like I say everything in every other walk of life. Do, be yourself. Do what you like. So they have firing line on PBS. It's a complete bust. They even steal the name from William F. Buckley, one of my heroes. Alec Baldwin had some kind of interview, interview show. It's a complete bust. It's a complete bust. Not because I'm a pro and they're an amateur, but because I come at it from a different perspective. I am audience-centric. I'm not pandering to you. But I'm trying to provide information that you might find particularly interesting and entertaining. CNN doesn't do that. Don Lemon is stupid and he's not entertaining. Jake Tapper's getting stupider and stupider. He used to be a decent journalist. He's thrown it out the window. They must be paying him a lot of money. Wolf Blitzer. Honestly, I never knew of Wolf Blitzer before he was on CNN. Did you, Mr. Producer? I don't know where the hell he comes from. Nobody even cares. Allison Camerata used to be a perfectly good host on Fox. She goes to CNN. They pay her good money. And now she's just another trash mouther. It's a lightweight lineup. People must fall in the line. Project Veritas demonstrated they must fall in the line or they're not going to be around very long. On MSNBC, you have the bomb throwers on the left. They don't pretend to be... Anything but what they are. Now, the news people pretend, like Andrea Mitchell pretends she's a journalist. She gets awards and everything. No journalist. She's a hack. In fact, there's not a single journalist on MSNBC. How can there be? All right, I'll be right back. 
Ahmad Lubin. Sunday. Orthodox Jewish wedding. I haven't been to many Orthodox Jewish weddings. It was fantastic. Just like this. I don't mean just like this, but I mean really energizing the music, the dancing, the excitement about family. Absol- you know that song? like that song. Can't get it out of my head right now. Let's hear it again. Go, 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 go. I can't. All right, kill it. Nancy Pelosi on CNN last night. By the way, is she the... Well, I don't have enough time. We'll do more of this after the break. But we're going to keep holding her, her feet to the fire, which is really problematic since they're mostly in her mouth. But nobody will say this but me. She is as dumb as they come. She is a moron. She can't speak clearly. She's incoherent and dumb as hell. Did I say that clearly enough? And her inner fascism has revealed itself. I want to remind the people at Mediate, Media Matters, and all the other scumbags. Did I say that? Oh, I'm sorry that are out there. We will continue on Pelosi after the bottom of the hour. We'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. By the way, you understand the Democrats and the media are furious that the economy is so robust. They're furious. Because remember, they'll burn down the country in order to get Trump and get their way. Let me ask you a question. If Congress subpoenaed the last 10 years of the tax records of every Supreme Court justice, would that be constitutional? If Congress subpoenaed the financial records of all the judges on the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, including from all their banks and their accountants, would that be constitutional? I think it would be if you follow the Second Circuit's logic. Why should the president be treated differently than a Supreme Court justice? Why should the president be treated differently than a circuit court justice? I would encourage the Republicans when they take back the House to start issuing subpoenas for the last 10 tax returns of federal judges. They need to learn, these federal judges, to live in the real world. They need to learn that separation of powers is a real issue and not just that protects them. Protects one branch from another. Not just the political branches. I'm very serious about this. Now Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Who I understand is still with us. uh, She apparently ruled. And put in a stay. 
Yeah, every justice is given certain circuits to oversee for <coughs> certain administrative purposes because all the justices, or a majority or even for the justices, can't make decisions fast enough uh, when cases are moving and when facts are moving even faster. So on this issue, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, probably a panel, that ruled that the congressional subpoena for the president's financial records from Deutsche Bank was, uh, in fact, legitimate and constitutional. Ginsburg, on behalf of the court, put a stay on it. Doesn't mean she agrees or disagrees. She put a stay on it for administrative purposes. It's a delay. But it does raise the question, doesn't it? It does raise the question. If Congress's subpoena power knows no bounds and has no bounds, then why can't they subpoena the information from Supreme Court justices or subpoena the information from circuit court judges or even subpoena the information from their children and their family members? They don't have to have any predicate. We've now learned that. Just make general platitudinous statements and issue your subpoenas, and nobody can stop you. And in fact, I'll take it a step further. If judges refuse to comply, if Supreme Court, listen to me, this is important. If Supreme Court justices refuse to comply, let's say with a House Judiciary subpoena seeking bank records, financial records, tax records, or whatever records they want, then they're obstructing Congress. And justices can be impeached too. Now this is the precedence that's being created, and the courts are involved in this. I hope they're listening very carefully. Because one day, the mob is going to turn on the Supreme Court. One day, the mob is going to turn on the judiciary. And the judiciary will be caught in, the, in, in a web of its own making. Precedent, stare decisis. They may try to come up with cute ways to distinguish themselves from a president, but it's not going to work. Either there are limits on what Congress is doing, or there aren't. We have every right to know, as the people of this country, about the financial activities of Supreme Court justices, their investments, their incomes, apart from financial statements that are required as a matter of uh, ethics rules, we're not talking about that. We want to know about their bank accounts and so forth. And especially them, since they have lifetime appointments. There's almost no oversight of the judiciary. Ah, you're attacking the independence of the judiciary. No, we're not. No, they're not. And so these courts need to be tested. Look, judges and justices are just like us. They eat, they crap, their skin, their blood. They're nice, they're mean, they're moody. They're all kinds of things, just like everybody else. Put on a black robe and all of a sudden, oh my God, they're like Zeus. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're individual human beings that deserve or don't deserve respect depending on what they do and what they say and what they write. Look at the way they treated Kavanaugh. Look at the way they treated Bork. Look at the way they treated Clarence Thomas. By the way, have any other people ever been treated like that? No. 
Well, they need to be, so that's the way you back off the left. But I'm serious about this point. If Congress's subpoena power is illimitable, then when the Republicans are in power, they should subpoena the tax records. And by the way, they don't even have to subpoena the tax records and financial and bank records of all the justices. Just do what the Democrats do. They didn't demand all these records from Obama. They didn't demand all these records from Clinton or Kennedy or anything of the sort. Johnson. Now there was a crook. No. So they should say, okay, we only want the tax records, bank records, financial records of the justices with whom we disagree. And by the way, their family members. And the information from their accounts. Well, you're attacking the independence of the judiciary. What does the Constitution say? That the judiciary is independent from congressional subpoenas? I'm just acting like a Second Circuit appellate judge. No. Congress has a right to oversight. Well, where the hell do you think the Second Circuit came from? Congress. It didn't come from the Constitution. The only court in the Constitution is the Supreme Court. So they can do the same ruse, the same pretext. We want to see if things are working over there at the Supreme Court, you know. We want to make sure nobody's crooked. We're not saying they are. We just need to make sure. We have every right to do it. We're Congress. We have oversight rights. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm quite serious about it. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Answer, yes. You know, folks, uh, computer systems and cars are the new normal. They're very complicated. From electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors. But all this advanced tech is expensive to fix if and when it breaks. That's why we have CarShield for our 2010 Camaro. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers so drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection provider. Whether you have 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles on your vehicle, it's inevitable something is going to break. Get covered by CarShield today. Call 800-CAR-6000, 800-CAR-6000, mention code LEVIN, or visit carshield.com on the internet. Carshield.com, use code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, either way, You'll save 10%. That's a solid savings. That's carshield.com, code Levin, or 800-CAR-6000, code Levin. A deductible may apply. That's why I'm of the opinion, and I stated so, when I was interviewed at Breitbart by Alex Marlowe. It does a hell of a show, by the way. That's a good interview. I said the next Democrat president must be impeached. That's the only way to fix this. If the Republicans control the House. If the Republicans control the House, they must impeach the next president in order to make sure what's being done to President Trump doesn't happen again. Let me repeat it. The next Democrat president must be impeached. What are the grounds? It doesn't matter. Because it didn't matter with Trump. They were talking impeachment while he was a candidate. They were talking impeachment the day after he got elected. I told you. This is all a sham. It's a scam. It's a railroad. And the only way to stop them is to turn the the, uh, political and impeachment guns on them. The next Democrat president must be impeached. 
The Republican Congress can take a page from Nadler, from Waters, from Elliot, Elliot Engel, Elliot, from Schiff and all the rest. Issue scores and scores of subpoenas. Scores of subpoenas for accounting records, for financial information, for bank information, for tax information. All kinds of communications with, about, around the president. Issue subpoenas for the president's White House counsel, chief of staff, national security advisor, the people closest to the president, so he ceases to function. You want to burden this Democrat president as much as possible. You want to undermine him as much as possible. And then you can wave around the Pelosi doctrine. You can wave around the Adam Schiff and Nadler and all the rest of them, their, their rules, and take them down. Do the Republicans have the guts to do so? I doubt it, but they must. It is the only way to fix the constitutional order when it comes to impeachment because the Democrats are creating this precedent. Now let them eat it. And Joe Biden would be the perfect Democrat president to be impeached. Start subpoenaing records. You want all his phone calls with Ukraine. You want all his phone calls with Red China. You bring Hunter Biden in for 30 hours of secret testimony like they brought Don Jr. in. You create a special counsel. The way they created a special counsel against the President of the United States. You demand that Joe Biden testify in person. And when he doesn't, you claim he has something to hide. Imagine using their tools and their rhetoric against their guy. Or gal, could be Elizabeth Warren. She's another liar. She's another one with interesting finances. Well, we want to get to the bottom of it. The next Democrat president must be impeached. And Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and Nadler and the others, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, and the others, have laid the foundation. The only way to stop this is to destroy their foundation with their guy or their lady. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, President Trump did his job in getting a new trade agreement to replace NAFTA. A spectacular job. USMCA, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement, is a better deal for U.S. workers and the American economy generally that would strengthen our economy and help stop foreign freeloading. I say would because even though the agreement was signed a year ago, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats have obstructed it. They won't even bring it up for a vote. Because Pelosi wants to rewrite the USMCA to weaken Trump's protections for U.S.-owned intellectual property. Basically, and she and other socialists want to make it easier for foreigners to steal the cutting-edge technologies that we invent. That we spend money creating. The American genius. Now, the the biggest winners of her agenda would be the profiteers in Mexico and Canada and the rest of the world that already take advantage of American China 
which is stealing American intellectual property course, they'll be the first in line. Now, the losers would be U.S. patients hoping for the next breakthrough treatment and the U.S. innovators hoping to discover it. Instead of wasting time trying to destroy the President of the United States, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats should do their damn job. Among other things, ratify the U.S. MCA right now as it was negotiated, written, and agreed to. Folks, get the facts. Go to truehealthcarefacts.com. Truehealthcarefacts.com. That's truehealthcarefacts.com. Rob, Gainesville, Florida, the great WSKY. Go. How you doing, Mr. Love and Levin? Can I call you that? You can, but I don't necessarily go that way. You get my drift? But thank you. <laughs> I, thank I you, Rob. I appreciate it. What was it, the, uh, the famous words of Hillary Clinton? No, I'm not a lesbian. I like men. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, anyway, go right ahead. So I, I've, I'm just really curious. I watched last night um, on Fox this whole business with the uh, release of the phone records from Schiff or his office. And I, well, I understand the law, at least to my basic knowledge, our Fourth Amendment protections against unlawful search and seizure. How is it that a congressman that is that has oversight, oversight authority in a legislative body is, has the power to subpoena. He's not a criminal justice agency. He's not, he's not, a, he's not initiating a criminal investigation. He's not, even, he's not even issuing a subpoena based on an impeachment. Your point is he's a lawmaker. Why is he allowed to do this stuff? Absolutely. And if he's allowed to do this, this is an electronic record, who's to say that he's not allowed to query FinCEN and acquire our financial records, or query an ISP and acquire our internet search records. Do you, know, do you know they can? You see, this is the thing people don't quite understand. You do, instinctively. Congress can be tyrannical. A legislative body can be tyrannical. The, 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 the framers of the Constitution didn't create an all-powerful legislature. That's why all these legal analysts and the rest of them got it so wrong. One part of the government is supposed to challenge and keep the other part in check. And so these people who are arguing the president is an adopt, you know, agreeing to subpoenas and he's taking it to court. Well, yeah, he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's trying to protect separation of powers in the office of the presidency. But people aren't being told this by MSNBC and, and, uh, and the rest of them because those stations are, number one, hiring the dumbest people on the face of the earth. And number two, don't give a crap. But this is a constitutional battle, and the President of the United States is on the right side of this. House of Representatives cannot become a rogue, factional uh, body under the Democrat Party, and the President has to genuflect and, and, sp- and bend over backwards every time they issue a subpoena, for whether it's for administration officials or whether it's for information. This has been understood through most of our history. It's been understood through most of our history. But your point is really a crucially important one. Congress exists to pass laws, or not pass laws, but it is a legislative body. It is not an investigative body. Any oversight that it does has to relate to legislation. Getting a hold of people's phone records has nothing to do with legislation, does it? Nothing. All right, Rob, I have silenced you with my genius. Thank you for your call, my friend. Paul, Springfield, Oregon. XM Satellite, go. Constitutionalist over here in Oregon, believe it or not. Thank you, sir. Keep your head down. It's a dangerous place. Yes, it is. Especially Portland. Yes, and I don't live there. 
two quick thoughts. I know, but Portland, like, controls the whole damn state. It's disgusting. It is. It's awful. People are revolting there now. Uh, are you saying they're revolting people there, or the people are revolting? The people are starting to push back against I all see. these NAFTA guys. Well, we have a so, great affiliate there, KUFO. Go ahead. So, two quick thoughts. I think that they've been trying to get rid of President Trump for a long before he became a candidate because he said decades ago he didn't like America's trade agreement. Mm-hmm. So by fixing the trade agreements, all these rhinos and DNC people who have under-the-table payouts because of the way they're constructed are going to lose all their money. you got 15 seconds. The second one is that the RNC is not going to get Joe, uh, Biden's uh, records. It's going to be the ex-girlfriend who's going to get the records, and then we'll see these payment records from China and Ukraine. All right, sir. Thank you for your call from the state of Oregon. I'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Don't forget... Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, our new time. 5 p.m. Pacific. Pacific. Pacific, our new time. Life, Liberty, and Levin, one-on-one. Levin and Dershowitz for a full hour. Never happened before. Not for a hit of three minutes with 13 get. No. A full discussion about the Constitution, impeachment, subpoenas. And by the way, the allegations against him. We'll spend time on that, too. I think you're going to be blown away by the interview. I really do. So whatever you're doing, please mark it down. Tell your friends and family. Gee, I wondered what's on CNN and MSNBC. See, nobody cares. Nobody cares. And again, I want to have an open invitation. All those who are running for president of the United States, Democrats, you're welcome to come on the program. Nancy Pelosi, you're welcome. Adam Schiff, you're welcome. Nadler, you're welcome. Who else? Schumer, you're welcome. Just this Swalwell. I don't even want him around me, you know. The guy's gaseous. I don't want him screwing up my studio, Mr. Producer, and my chairs and everything. Jim Cramer is a financial analyst on CNBC. When this report came out, the numbers on, on employment... It's not even unemployment, it's employment, job creation. Seven million new jobs created under Donald Trump in less than three years. Less than three years. The best economy when it comes to jobs, American jobs, in over half a century. How do you dismiss this? How do you play this down? And yet that's what they're doing. Instead, it's constant impeachment, impeachment, abuse, abuse. This is their intention. This is what the left does. We're all the economic analysts. 
climate change. We're going to talk about climate change. I'm challenging Chuck Todd to come on my show. Let's have a discussion about climate change. Nancy Pelosi. They don't even know what climate change is. They don't even know how to describe it. I'm more than happy to discuss it. I've written two books where I address climate change. But I actually read the reports and listen to the experts, not just the propaganda. All right. Jim Cramer on CNBC this morning with Joe Kernan. Who the hell's Joe Kernan, Mr. Perdue? I don't even know who is Joe Kernan. Well, of course, he's a colleague, but I mean, do we know anything about Joe Kernan? I don't. Just another not-so-pretty face? Anyway. By the way, on CNN, you can't even say just another pretty face. They all look, you know, awful. May I say awful? Is that a word I'm allowed to use? Awful. Jim Cramer, cut 12, go. A list of what the cable companies, cable, CNN, MSN, what do they cover? The number 16th, 16th is positive economic news. All the rest of them are negative. So you know what's going on here, Joe. People don't want to say good things. And this is the best number I've ever seen in my life. Stop. Now, Kramer is not a so-called conservative. He says these numbers are the best he's ever seen in his life. And same with the rest of us. They're the best numbers in half a century, over half a century. With respect to employment, we, nobody living has ever seen anything better than this. At least most of those living have never seen anything better than this. Maybe you can go back to Eisenhower post-war, but that's how far back you have to go. And they say, oh, this Trump is a dunce. Oh, this Trump doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, this Trump... this." He's way ahead. He's way ahead. He knows what he's doing, and he knows what he wants to do. Can you imagine if the other party were a normal opposition party, rather than trying to burn down the country for their own benefit? Go ahead. Is it going to, is it, well, I said this earlier, I, and, and is it, can it last forever, Jim? How can it last forever? Uh, unless it's a participation rate. And it, uh, it, if you, no, I think you can, it has to go up, Joe, because when we win the trade war, which you know we're going to win now because we have the better numbers, then they're going to have to put jobs here. That's what they're going to have to do. We're not even talking about that yet. In the end, the Chinese are going to have to put jobs here because this thing is uh, you, the president can walk away from the table with this number. You are so anti-normal, uh, knee-jerk thinking of the MSM. So we could actually have more jobs coming back if we win the trade war. No, you won't see that written or said anywhere. Well, you know, sometimes the truth sets people free. Yeah, that's a beautiful Look, love. Joe, you and I both know. These are 50 years, okay? Now, I'm 64. There's 50, there's beating, I didn't know about things were in 13, when I was 13 and 14, other than the war. But these are, I'm not going to say it. You can't, you can't contradict that these are the best numbers of our lives. By the way, I'm told Joe Curtin's a pretty good guy. Sorry, Joe. What do I know? I mean, I just assume it's like original sin. Um, as my Christian friends tell me. These are the best employment numbers that I've ever seen in my lifetime, and I'm 62. Shouldn't we be celebrating this, that our fellow Americans are working? Do you know jobs go unfilled because there aren't enough people to fill them? Or are there people on the dole who don't want to get off the dole in order to fill the jobs? 
this, this is incredible. And the fact is, China's economy is hurting. Russia's economy is hurting. Iran's economy, you heard Mr. Hook last night, who is our point man in dealing with the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. Ben Hook. And he said, their economy has shrunk by 13%. If this were Obama, and all these jobs were being created, and the unemployment level was, was at a at better than it's ever been in a half a century, they'd have a ticker tape parade for the guy. And many, many of these jobs are going to minorities and going into metropolitan areas. Where these mayors have killed these cities, but the president's national economic federal policies have, may I use a liberal metaphor, trickled down. Because trickle down works. It's called creating policies that resonate throughout the economy. Now, this should be the lead story in every newsroom. It's not. In a 30-minute news show, they should spend 10 or 15 minutes on explaining what's taking place. They won't for two reasons. They hate Trump and they hate capitalism. Better to talk about climate change because the Marxists in Germany and France came up with this, this Green New Deal climate change agenda, and you and I are now supposed to surrender our wealth, surrender our liberty, Surrender our security to this ideology. John Kerry's out there pushing it. John Kerry is a certifiable moron. Weather? This guy doesn't even put on a raincoat when it's raining. He doesn't know the weather. And yet he puts on a raincoat when it's not raining. What's that tell you, Mr. Peters? I mean, there we have Joe Biden. He likes little kids sitting in his lap. Look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in, implying anything. He just said he likes it. But this is what's going on with the economy. Now, here's what Trump said today. Cut 13, go. Other countries have lost many trillions of dollars. We're by far the largest economy in the world. And that was going to change. For many years, they were saying that was going to change. We were going to go to number two uh, during this presidency. That was years ago. And uh, I guess that uh, the wrong president got elected from the standpoint that uh, there are a lot of people very unhappy about it. So they wish, they certainly think it was the wrong president. They would have rather had somebody else because they're not number one, we're number one, and we're we're so far ahead uh, that uh, people can't even believe it. He's right. He's right. And he gets no credit. And he, look what he's doing. He's fighting the Democrats. He's fighting the media. He's fighting academia. He's fighting the rhinos. He's fighting China. He's fighting Russia. Yes, he is. And he's winning. Congress can't take credit for any of this. Well, Mark, the tax cuts, right. But that Congress is gone. It's a new Congress. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I'm reminded uh, when I listened to these leftists, Nancy Pelosi yesterday, that James Rosen is a hell of a reporter. Peter Ducey, hell of a reporter. These are serious people that ask serious questions. 
and they make these candidates uncomfortable, not because they're gotcha or provocative or anything like that. They're asking questions that are in the mind of many people. They're not sycophants. And when Rosen asked Pelosi, does she hate Trump? She was walking away from the, actually sort of slipping and sliding away from the microphone, and she comes back. She's angry. She's shaking. Her eyes are twitching. And one of the things she said struck me. And I'm paraphrasing. Something to the effect, I don't hate anyone, I'm Catholic. Did she say something like that, Richie V? And you're Catholic, right? You're, and you're evangelical Catholic, okay. But that's, that's what she said, something to that effect. And, I, and I'm sitting here thinking, as I do during the break. So she doesn't hate anyone. But abortion is perfectly fine. That is, abortion for any reason and at any time. But she doesn't hate anyone. So boarding people, that's right, I said people. Aborting people is okay. But hating them is not. There's something really sick about this. There's something that's incongruous about this, and we never allow ourselves to have an honest discussion about it. Now you're turning off the the suburban moms. I don't care who the hell I'm turning off. What about them turning off me? Let's go to Stu in Peru, Indiana. Sirius Satellite, go. Yeah, Mark, thanks so much. Um, I happen to go out to Market Watch to take a look at some of the uh, market performance news, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, they can't mm-hmm. help themselves. They're, all of the uh, headlines they come out with qualifiers on them. They say record market uh, gains, but recession looms. Uh, experts forecast recession in 2020. Hey, but haven't they been saying recession since the day uh, Trump walked into the Oval Office? Oh Pretty yeah. Much? Mark Cuban said the market was going to crash. Who said that? Mark Cuban. You know, I, I don't know this guy, Mark Cuban, but uh, I'm, I'm of two minds with this guy, that he kind of lucked into his billions with the uh, the, the, the big Internet uh, explosion, or he's a sharp guy. But the more he talks, the dumber he sounds to me. <laughs> There's so many of them like that. Yeah. All right, brother, thank you for your call. They should be celebrating these numbers. They should. Can we celebrate anything? Can we celebrate anything? Let's go to Robert. Abilene, Texas. XM Satellite. Yes, sir. How may I help you? Mr. Levin, I appreciate you letting me come on the phone. But I do take issue with what you're saying about <coughs> the impeaching the next Democratic president, because I believe that that is setting a, a precedent that's not that doesn't have any integrity. It's beneath the people of the United States. That what? I said I believe that's beneath the people of the United States because we're stooping to their level, and I don't... See, this is the argument all the time. This is why conservatives and Republicans wave as their country is destroyed. See, when we take them on and engage them and use their tactics to defeat them, we are beneath the people of the United States. So just stand by and keep saying they're beneath the people of the United States while they destroy our Constitution. 
I strongly disagree with that mindset, and it's why we're losing our country. And it's why we would lose any military battle whatsoever. Let me tell you a little story, Robert, about beneath the American people. When my mother's father, my grandfather, was fighting in Iwo Jima, the Japanese wouldn't take prisoners. In fact, the Japanese would often booby trap American soldiers, Marines, who they, who they captured, and send them back into their units, where obviously they would be blown up. They were horrendous to their prisoners. You know what our guys did after that, Robert? Yes, sir. They executed their prisoners. Our Marines executed the Japanese prisoners. It was the only way to stop them. It was the only way to survive. Tell me, was that beneath the American people? No, sir. I agree with that completely. Why? I feel like that that was an enemy of the U.S., and that's what it has to... Well, sir, look, the enemy of the United States, there's no question about that. We're talking about the survival of this republic. And it seems to me when you have a party that has unmoored itself from the constitutional system and then claims to use it for the purpose of destroying the franchise for 63 million people who voted for a president, who are trying to destroy a president 11 months before the next election who are using the House of Representatives and abusing the impeachment clause to advance their own political party in 2020, who have dragged the nation through this process while we're facing down enemies abroad, I'd say that's pretty damn dangerous. And if you have a better idea on how to stop it than I do, I'd like to hear it. Well, I understand that. If you have a better idea on how to stop it, I'd like to hear it. But at what point does that stop? What point does It stops the- like it did with the independent counsel statute which was passed in 1978 when the Democrats rammed it through and they got Jimmy Carter to sign off on it. And it was used in many ways to go after Republican presidents. And then it was used against Bill Clinton repeatedly. And then the Democrats, Barney Frank, one of the authors, Carl Levin, one of the authors, said, you know what? We now agree with the Republicans. We need to get rid of this statute. And they let it lapse. At what point? The point is now. You don't have to agree. There's summer soldiers and there are people who understand what the hell's going on here. They're debate clubs and they're activists. But I appreciate your call, Robert. You take care of yourself. Let me reiterate what I said. The next Democrat president must be impeached. The reason why a pretext can be developed is irrelevant to me. But I know of no other way I know of no other way to stop the mob that is threatening this country and the Democrat Party. If they feel the Republicans are going to roll over every time, and I'm worried they will, and I'm talking about the Senate, not the House, that's for sure, then they're going to keep it up. But you and I have an obligation to defend this country too, to defend the Constitution, to defend the branches of the government, separation of powers, and to defend the president we voted for. It's our country. This is aimed not just at Donald Trump, it's aimed at you, Mr. and Mrs. America. Somebody has a better idea, let's hear it now. I don't know what they're waiting for. I'll be right back. Can't got your tongue? 
cough up a furball and call 877-381-3811 right now for Mike Levin. I haven't seen a single ad since I've been on the air now almost three hours on Fox for our Sunday show. So I have to keep mentioning it because they don't, Mr. Producer. I don't get it. Maybe they don't mention the weekend shows on Friday, but but I think they should. Please don't forget, this Sunday's a really big show, as Ed Sullivan used to say. Mark, who's Ed Sullivan? Google it. By the way, Pete Buttigieg, what exactly does this guy have to offer the country? I don't want to know about personal lives. It doesn't matter to me. When you're sitting there making decisions about war and peace and the economy and so forth, who you're married to and so forth, that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Not voting for anybody because they have an affirmative right to be president because they, are, they identify with a particular group or not. It's not the group that's making decisions when you make presidential decisions. This isn't an affirmative action job. And I don't just mean that on race or sex. It's just not. You're, the American people have a big decision to make. And I'm, try, I'm tired of being told what the little checklist is from the left and the media. And Cory Booker, the reason why even your own party is rejecting you is because you're an idiot. You bring nothing to the table. Your record in Newark sucked. That's it, pal. That's it. I know it's tough. I know it's tough. But it's you. That's why. You suck. Let me go on. It's enforced compliance season. If you owe the IRS, you need to take action because the IRS can garnish your paycheck Seize your bank account and put a lien on your home. Don't wait until it's too late. Call Optima Tax Relief while you still have options. Now, they've resolved over a billion dollars in tax debt for folks just like you. Optima steps between you and the IRS, fighting on your behalf to help stop the demand letters and aggressive collection actions so you can get back to your life. No one's more skilled at solving tough IRS problems than Optima Tax Relief. Call now. And ask about the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. And if you qualify, you can save thousands. You deserve a fresh start. Call Optima now for your free consultation. 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. Some restrictions apply, not many. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. They are a great, a great business that is there to protect you. They have experts, lawyers, former IRS types, and so forth. Absolutely terrific. Rob, Oswego, Kansas, KZRG, our great affiliate. How are you? Good. How are you, Mark? Very well. Thank you, sir. Hey, I just wanted to real quick say I agree with you on impeaching the next Democratic president, because as a veteran, I took an oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Mm-hmm. And the way I see it is these liberal Democrats are enemies. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not they're not uh, they're not contributing to the nation in a way that's healthy, are they? No. All they've done for the last four years is try to block everything Trump does. You know, we've all seen the unemployment numbers, how they're the greatest in 50 years. And like you said earlier, nobody wants to talk about it. You know, all they want to do is find a way to get him out of there because they know they can't beat him. Abuse of power coming from the left. Isn't that pretty funny? Yeah. 
<laughs> That's all they do is abuse power. They, here they are abusing the impeachment power, abusing the process, and they talk about the abuse of power. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it, it is really uh, Marxism in wonderland here. All right, my friend, thank you for your call. <coughs> Excuse me. My cholera has kicked in, Mr. Producer. No, 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 just kidding. Let's see. Jay, Augusta, Georgia, Sirius Satellite. How are you, sir? I'm great. How you doing, Mark? Very well. Jay, how you been? I'm good, buddy, and I want to just tell you I'm behind you 100% as far as impeaching the next Democrat president because mm-hmm. all they care about is destroying this country, and if conservatives, especially a couple of callers ago, keep on saying that's beneath us, if we don't start fighting for this country, we're going to lose it. I, I agree. We, I mean, it's... Go ahead. People don't wake up, you know, we're, we're going to lose this country. Mm-hmm. So no, you're right. I just, I appreciate what you're doing. I, I, I got friends, and I keep on, they keep on telling me, you know, well, two wrongs don't make a right. Bull crap. When you're in a fight, you fight to win. Mm-hmm. And and I, I'm tired of us turning the other cheek because we're good people and, and allowing our country to be destroyed like it's been over the last 20 to 30 years. I'm, I'm with you. Say again, brother. Go ahead. I'm sorry I didn't hear you. I'm 61 years old, and I've been watching it happen and been speaking up against it, and I'm just tired. I'm I'm ready to fight back, and people better start fighting back or else we're not going to know this country in another 20 years. No, you're exactly right. Jay, good to hear from you, buddy. Let's continue. And Albany, Oregon. Oregon's wide awake tonight on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Hi, Mark. It's an honor, and you're a wonderful person. Thank you for all you do. I'm well, calling. aren't you kind? I, oh, you're so nice. Thank you. I used to live in Orange County, California. We sold our home like three years ago and moved to Albany, Oregon. But mm-hmm. I just want to say that the Obama era... Um, the Obama-era economy hurt us when we were there. Trump is doing a wonderful job. We're doing wonderful here, and I never want to go back to that type of recession again. I've been through many, how you go through them, and then you, you wait a little bit, and then you have a but, better but, but look how they're rooting for it. The media are rooting for it. The Democrats are rooting for it because they hope that idiot Bill Maher wanted it because they're unaffected by recessions. They're unaffected. They're wealthy enough or, they're, or the business they're in is unaffected by a recession. It's hardworking Americans who are affected by a recession. And recessions are horrific. And a bad recession, if it's handled wrong, could lead to a great depression. And yet they root for this stuff. I, I just can't believe what the Dems are doing. They are so mean and they're so selfish. Every time they talk about Trump, every time they attack him on everything, they're talking about themselves. They are doing it. They're doing it because mm-hmm. they think they're above the law. They they are not above the law. They are the ones that are hurting themselves, and they are the ones that are the mean people when they talk about mean things about Trump. I'm with you, kid. Thanks for your call. Great callers tonight. Henry, Birmingham, Alabama, XM Satellite, go. Hey, Mark, you are the revere of conservative radio. You're riding them ether waves trying to wake the sleeping giant up, and you've got to keep at it, man. I love you so much. Thank you. You're, you're so very cool. kind. You're very and kind. You, you're an intellectual giant. I don't know about, about that, 
But oh, thank you. I know about that. Well, yeah. maybe not a giant, right? But <laughs> you're way better than anyone else in this world right now when it comes to Americanism. Oh, anyway, man. I got to tell you, I got disagree with uh, uh, the the impeachment of the next Democrat president. Yeah. We don't need another Democrat president. Well, we that's true need, too. Yeah, we don't. At first, if we before we impeach him or her, <laughs> God help us. We got to defeat him. No, I, I agree with that. <laughs> no, that's true. But I'm saying the next one, there will be one. And what they ought to say is, we're applying the Pelosi, Schiff, Nadler media standards. If it was good enough for them, it's good enough for us. Well, we can't lower ourselves to that. We must, in order to get our country back and our Constitution back. We have no choice. I'm sorry. Go ahead, my friend. The bigotry of low expectations is all we'll get out of another Democrat president. But I want to say this, that... Since I read reading your book, which I don't seem to be able to keep in my hands, everybody wants to take it from me every time I Isn't have it that out. Nice. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's very nice. Thank you. Oh, you deserve all the accolades I can muster up mm-hmm. for you today and every day. I, I'm telling you, every time I watch the news, which sadly, but I watch the evening news, and every time, do you not notice something that they always have to under a Republican? They always have to revise the numbers up. But under Obama, every time they put out a hundred, maybe if they were lucky, got a hundred thousand uh, uh, new, new new workers, they would have to revise the numbers down, and they never reported on it. Just like they never report on revising the numbers up under Trump or any other uh, Republican president. And I would add also, thank mm-hmm. God for Trump because he has ignited something that has been long missing, and it's in the DNA of the American people, and that is competition, the competitive spirit of the American that wants to work, who wants to provide for their family, who wants to make this country great, who wants to provide with their hands everything they can muster up to give their family a leg up in the world. And I just wanted to add that one on there. So, All right, my brother. I really appreciate your very, very kind call. Rosie, Long Island, New York, the great W-A-B-C, go. Thank you, Mark. I just want to say as a devout Catholic, I'm offended by Nancy Pelosi's actions. Let me just say this as a Jew, I'm offended by her, too. But anyway, go ahead. Accusing an honest man of uh, a crime that he never committed. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you watch the the trials that they had. Mm -hmm. And he can run rings around them. They have no, you know, they, they don't know how to get to him. And they have, and he has them cornered. He's a great president. He's going to surpass President Reagan. President Reagan's probably looking down at him and smiling. And I just want to thank President uh, Trump from the bottom of my heart for taking on this, this fight and for fighting for America and for making America great. And he's a true warrior in every sense of the word. All right, my friend. Thank you for your call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, there's another reason why Fox creams their so-called competition. Now, I say this as somebody who works there, but I'm trying to be as objective as possible. I'm not talking about myself. Primetime lineup. Look at that primetime lineup. You have Carlson, Hannity, Ingram. Look at the primetime lineup on the other networks. 
it's not just that those three are conservatives or libertarians or populists or whatever you want to call them. They're all different in their own way. They're so much smarter and substantive and entertaining. I'm quite serious about it. It's like a military operation or a sports team or whatever it is. They're so far and beyond, so far ahead of the others in content and in every other respect. That's why you watch them. You don't watch them simply to reinforce your viewpoints. Oh, that's a good reason, but it's because they interest you. They're entertaining. The fact is they're not just competing with CNN and MSNBC. They're competing with the networks. They're competing with your lifestyle. They're competing with a lot of things. And they win day in and day out. I should talk more about this next week. Omaha Steaks is America's original butcher, bringing families together since 1917. Order with complete confidence today. And right now, Omaha Steaks is sharing an amazing limited-time holiday offer with my listeners. To get a jump on your holiday shopping, go to omahasteaks.com. Make sure you enter my name, code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, in the search bar to order. The favorite gift package. The gift everyone will love for only $69.99. Order now, and you'll get this. Four six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet mignons. The most tender steak in the world. Four savory premium pork chops. Four Omaha Steaks burgers. Four perfectly brown potatoes au gratin. Four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets. An Omaha Steaks signature seasoning packet. Plus, only for you, my listeners, a free six-piece cutlery set and cutting board. Again, order right now, and you can get the favorite gift holiday package plus the free six-piece cutlery set and cutting board for only $69.99. Just go to omahasteaks.com, type in Levin. L-E-V-I-N, in the search bar. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com, type in Levin into the search bar to order the gift everyone will love. Order the favorite gift package today. Well, it's going to be a little tense in the Levin household tomorrow, Saturday, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Little Barney will be operated on in three different places in his back. And he's about 11, year old, 11 years old now. And he is a happy, joyous little fella. So our fingers are crossed. And uh, I will inform you what's going on when I know what's going on next week. But we love our little buddy. Now, every week, every Friday, in honor of you, the American people...
Folks, the week is officially over. The weekend begins now. Please don't forget Sunday night's fabulous big show, 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox. One hour, Dershowitz and Levin. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all of you who protect us. Thank you, and God bless you. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Smokey. And good night, Gigi. And bless you, Barney. Fingers crossed. Ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful weekend. We thank you very, very much for your being here. Keep your chin up. And good night, Dad, Mom, and Leo. God bless.